0: Welcome to On the Move, a podcast about missions, international ministry, and how God is changing lives around the world. I am your host, Leanne White, and today I'm excited to be joined by Erica Fertig. Erica currently serves um, with Crew in the Toledo, Ohio area. Welcome, Erica. Thank
1: you. It's good to be with you.
0: So, I want to start by just talking a little bit about your own personal faith journey, what you're doing currently with Crew, but really kind of the things that God has done in your life to get you to the point where you're at now.
1: I grew up in a home in the Western part of, um, Chicago and it was a very loving home. We went to church every weekend and prayed before meals, but that was kind of the extent of God's influence on my life. It was just kind of a cultural thing, something that I did. Um, and it wasn't until I went to college at Butler university that I really, um, began to understand that there's a little bit more to a relationship with God than I had been experiencing in my growing up years. And so, um, I I saw a sign in my dorm for a Bible study, and I actually had never owned a Bible, and I had never read the Bible, um, but I thought... I might check that out. And so I did. And it was a small group of girls and they were talking about the Bible and how it could apply to life. And I liked deeper conversation. And so I was like, well, I need to buy a Bible so I can keep going to this Bible study. And I didn't know that this Bible study was a part of the Ministry of Crew um, at that time. And so they invited me to a bigger weekly meeting. And so, yeah, I just... Kind of got involved, you know, kind of before understanding that personal relationship with Jesus. And I, I was filled out a little card, right? And I said, like, yeah, I I would like more information about parties, retreats, and conferences because I wanted to get involved in everything. And they said, do you want more information about a small group Bible study? And I said, I've already got one of those. And then, do you want more information about a personal relationship with Jesus? And I clicked yes because I thought I think these people understand something that I don't. And um, it, when they explained the basics of the gospel to me, I. I had known and understood that God loved me and that I was sinful and that Jesus died for my sins. Like all those things had been clear to me growing up in church, but I'd never understood that I needed to make a personal decision about that and actually make it my own. And so I did that in college and grew tremendously in my faith um, as, you know, I participated in CREW and all the things that they offered when I was graduating I was I was studying to be a teacher but when I was graduating I just realized like I I could be a teacher and I could love teaching but I could also teach people about Jesus and if I could do that full time I really want to do that and so I ended up joining the staff of Crew right after I graduated from college that was in 2000 and we've been with Crew ever since so I met my husband through the ministry of Crew and we served a couple years in Columbus, Ohio, before moving overseas to East Asia. And we moved there in 2004. And then we moved back in 2013, adopted two little girls, and then um, remained in the States. And we've been in the Toledo area um, since 2014. So
0: I love that your understanding, your like kind of your faith story involves crew kind of from the very beginning, that it was instrumental in you even even having that realization that it's not just the head knowledge about Jesus but it's having a personal relationship with him. I love that. That's right. So you mentioned already that you and your husband Mark served with Crew in East Asia. Can you talk to us a little bit about that experience, what you did and what that was what that was like?
1: Yes, I would love to. So yeah, we moved there in 2004 and we were students at a university. That's how we got our visas. And then our kind of target audience was the university students. And so um, as we kind of lived near the campus, we would Get to know students. And um at first, you know, it was like, where are the English speakers? Because I did not know (laughs) the language at all. And so I would try to find, you know, the students who knew better English and could have conversations with me around this time of year, around Christmas time. We would have a lot of Christmas parties and we would tell them about Jesus. And but you know, it was always, yeah, building relationships with them and and trying to share more and more of who Jesus is and what the gospel is. And it was it was very difficult. It was a difficult location. Where we were in East Asia, there was a lot of different kinds of spiritual influence. So there were Tibetan Buddhists in the area. There was also a large Muslim population in the area. And then you had your typical, like, atheistic kind of no religion. And so all of these different kinds of people would come together um, at the university. And so there were just a wide variety of perspectives and backgrounds. But because of this kind of multiplicity of religious backgrounds, people were very open to talking about religion. And it was, it was pretty easy to
0: bring up that topic and to have that conversation with people. So, you mentioned the multiplicity of beliefs and and the fact that that kind of brings an openness in a way. Can you maybe just talk a little more about that of of maybe the challenges of people having so much exposure to different beliefs and and we I think it's interesting because I think we see that today. I mean, you do work with crew now in the states, and I think that our world is becoming more and more with all of these voices right in the heads and minds of young people and what challenges and and then maybe also what opportunities, more specific opportunities does that present?
1: The opportunity that it presents is that it's a very normal part of understanding who you are and what your background is like. And so because there were these different people groups in the city where we lived, it was very common to say, well, what, what people group are you from? And with that, there was, you know, you could either ask or you just know with that comes a belief system, right? A a religion or a belief system. And so in the college campus, you would see, you know, they had, sometimes 7 to 8 girls in a dorm room and there might be a couple from one of the muslim people groups and a couple from that were local people from the tibetan group or or some that had come from the east that had more of an atheistic mindset and so they they would as they were getting to know one another you know that would just be a normal part of their of their conversation. And it could be, you know, as we walked into those rooms and could sit and chat with them, it could be a normal part of ours too. But one of the challenges then is that they would say, well, that's good for you. You're, you know, they just see it as, oh, this is your background. And so when I would talk about me as a Christian, you know, it's like, oh, well, all people in America are Christians. And, you know, it was very much a cultural understanding of Christianity. And so a lot of times it was me trying to explain, like, actually, no, they might, people in America might call themselves Christians, but that doesn't mean that they actually believe in their hearts. And there's a difference between that. And I would share a little bit of my own story in, you know, sharing that idea, But, and and they would see that in their religions too, you know, oh yes, there is a difference between, you know, people that just go through the motions or do it because their parents do and people that actually believe. But I think it was very challenging for them to make that jump to the God of Christianity is the God of all peoples and he made you too. And yeah, apart from him, you know, you don't have life and eternal. And so that, that was harder for them to grasp for sure.
0: I would imagine that it would be. And and I even think as you're talking, I was wondering even to understand the person of Jesus, what what that was. Because I think like we all have that God-shaped void, right? Inside of us. So at some level, I think many people kind of understand that there is a divine being out there somewhere. What what you call him is different things, but the person of Jesus is. So unique and different in the Christian faith to so many others. So, what was the kind of how did how did that relate as you talked about Jesus and and what he meant to you and all of that? What was how how was that received and perceived?
1: Yeah, I mean, really, it, you know, when you think about going to be a missionary in other parts of the world, and you and you hear there are people who don't know who he is, like it's really true. I mean, they had no. Kind of context for who Jesus is, and so I remember there was even a big Christmas party that our school had thrown for the foreign students. You know, so there's lots of American students there, lots, you know, some from Europe too, and and the the Chinese um, official was translating kind of the story of Christmas, and she said Jesus who was born in America, <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> That's not at all
0: true, but oh my goodness,
1: that's that's how she translated it into Chinese for the for the Chinese officials who were there. So, yeah, they they just have never heard of Jesus and and don't don't really
0: know who he is. You're right. That is a hard thing I think for American Christians to wrap their brains around that someone someone could live their life and not know who Jesus is. Again, you have this opportunity to start talking about him, about Jesus. I think my perception is has been that East Asia is a challenging place to share the good news about Jesus, that there would be a lot of hard hearts. What was that like for you and maybe if my perception is correct, how challenging was it for you personally to stay committed and stay for yourself to stay encouraged in the ministry, even with possibly little fruit? Or is my perception incorrect? And there is actually a very fertile ground for people um, when they hear the good news of Jesus.
1: I think it was kind of both and. So there was a lot of fruit. Some of the fruit was in people who had a bit of a Christian background or even a very solid Christian background. And so there were were students who would come to the university who had grown up in Christian families. It was very rare, um, but that did happen. And then there were also students who, when they heard the good news, they they wanted it. They were hungry for it. And so this is also true when you're having evangelistic conversations in the United States. But I think it's especially true overseas that I would just think about it in trusting God for what we call plus one conversations. And so, you know, if they're starting way over here with no knowledge of who Jesus is, even introducing them to the person of Jesus and reading the Christmas story from the Bible when they're at my house for a Christmas party, which they were so overjoyed to do, you know, is come come to a foreigner's house for a real Christmas party that them hearing that story from the bible is a plus one you know or plus 3 even you know, or whatever it is like um that's giving them a little bit of a taste of who who god is in the person of jesus and so so some people right they they would hear a little bit and they'd want more and they'd want more um but then other people yeah it would be like well that's fine for you but we i have my own religion you know and so it was just a lot of conversations to try to find out who are the spiritually hungry students. But actually, the city where we were serving was a very fruitful place. And we actually had several students who um, joined the staff of crew with us, which is amazing. And so,
0: yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, what was it like from from a church standpoint? Did you have was there a church that you were able to find and be a part of? Was it an underground thing? Was it was it just basically you guys and the students that you know knew Jesus that were around you? Tell talk yeah. about that.
1: Well. Um- Kind of crews always tried to operate as not a church, you know, we're, we're a campus ministry, and so we encourage people to get involved in a local church. So, um, for students in the United States, that's what we do, and, and it was true for our students in East Asia too. Once you know we knew that they were believers in following Jesus, we would encourage them to get involved in an underground church, and there were several in our city that we would encourage them to go to. We couldn't couldn't go to those churches as foreigners. And so we would just meet, most of our years in East Asia, we um, would meet as a small group and just listen to a recording of a a pastor in the United States. And a lot of times we would have our own worship. We had people who could play the guitar and we could sing songs together. Towards our end of our time there, there was an international fellowship that was meeting in the three self like government run church building. And as long as it was only foreigners there, we were allowed to meet there. But some some missionaries also chose not to do that because it did kind of put yourself in a public place declaring you're a Christian. And so um, some people didn't want to do that. But there actually wasn't, there wasn't a pastor for that church. And so different people would volunteer to speak and you had Christians who were missionaries from lots of different walks, you know, in different kinds of organizations. And so it was a little bit of a mixed bag, just not knowing yeah. what you were jumping into.
0: So talk a little bit about, you just raised a question in my, in my mind, um, kind of the security aspect of it. Was, was there an element for you in your time in East Asia where you really felt like we're taking a risk? We have to be careful. We have to watch what we say. We have to watch what We send back home and, and what was, talk a little bit about that and, and maybe especially how that impacted your, your faith in what God had called you to do there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: it was a risk and, you know, you're not officially supposed to be a missionary in that country. And so, um, it, we had to go in as students and we lived there for nine years. And so some people say, you were a student for nine years? And it's like, well, yes, it's a very complicated language, you know, and <laughs> I, I can talk a little bit, but I can't write at all. You know, there's always more I can learn. The the university where we were, they had a great relationship with the foreign students and they wanted us there. I think that they kind of knew what we were doing, but it was kind of the idea of, if you don't get us into trouble, we're not going to get you into trouble. And so don't be real vocal about what you're doing. But there, there were times that they kind of like, um, we would say maybe like gave us a little slap on the wrist kind of a thing, you know, where they would warn us like, Hey, you're being a little bit too bold here. Like you need to cool it. It, it, it was risky. We never felt like our lives were ever in danger. You know, if, if anything was going to happen to us, they were just going to ask us to leave the country and and wouldn't give us the visas to come back. But that never happened. So there were a few times, too, where there was a little bit of political unrest. I mean, our organization was very wise in saying, you know, for these next few weeks, just lay low, you know, or don't have conversations on campus this week, you know, take students for a walk in the city and talk with them while you're walking along outside of campus. And yeah, try to be less visible, that kind of thing.
0: So what are some highlights for you as you think back on that time and what God did in you and through you for that time in East Asia? What immediately comes to mind for you that you're always like, oh, I hope somebody asks me this or I get to talk about this part of the story? Yeah. What What comes to mind?
1: I mean, I, I really did just love living there. And there's, there's so much about living in a foreign country and just seeing that God isn't the God of just the United States, you know, he really is the God of the whole world and the whole universe. And when you see how another culture reflects his image and and how those worshipers see God and and pursue him and move toward him is just so encouraging, right? Because yeah, he's just, he's the God of every tribe and tongue and nation. But there, there is one story that I absolutely love to tell, and that is it's actually happened before I moved over there. So I got to spend six weeks in the country in um, 2002, and then my husband and I moved over there in 2004. But when I was there just for that summer in 2002... I was able to share the gospel with um, a student from that area, and um, she was she was a Tibetan Buddhist student, and so she showed me this picture of her in her traditional Tibetan dress, and she was kind of sitting in a grassland, and there was these like mud huts behind her, and it was just gorgeous picture. And I said, "Where is this?" And she said, "Oh, that's my hometown." And I said, wow, I said, you know, how many people from your hometown have come to the university? And she said, oh, I am the first one. (laughs) And so then a few days later, you know, we were, we were walking and talking about God and she was just asking so many questions. And so we stopped at a park and I took out a piece of paper and I started to draw some pictures for her. And I was like, imagine that this is God and this is the people and the people cannot get to God. You know, they the only way to get to God is through Jesus. And, and I took a long time to explain those ideas and, and how it all worked. And, and she just was kind of taking it all in. And so I stopped and I said, "You know, tell me what you're thinking about all of this. And she said, well, I think about the people in my village. And they do not come to the big city, and they do not see the tall buildings and the fast cars. And so I want to know, if this is true, who is going to tell them about this? And so I just felt like, wow, Lord, what a gift that she understood that if what I'm telling her is true and that Jesus really is the only way to God, then everybody needs to know about it. And yeah, I mean, it even just makes me tear up now, even thinking about it 20 plus years later, because it's it's true. Like if Jesus is the only way to God, then everybody needs to know. And that's
0: why we do what we do and take the risks that we took. So, oh, I, that is, I, I teared up too. (laughs) I'm right along with you. You are talking and I'm tearing up over here because it is, it makes me think of, of that Passage in Romans where Paul is like, you know, h- how will they know if someone doesn't go if someone isn't sent to tell them? I mean, that the the truth is there are still unreached people groups in our world, and and we still do need people who are willing to go. And it's so so awesome that you and Mark were willing to be some of those that were willing to go.
1: We feel like we are so privileged to be able to go. You know, it was such a gift yeah. to have those years overseas. We loved it.
0: That's that's awesome. So as you came home, as you transitioned back to the U.S. after nine years, what was that like? Because I'm guessing there was a a bit of a culture reintroduction uh, in terms of of what it's like to come back to all of the things that are a part of living in the U.S. versus East Asia. Yeah, our,
1: our reasons for coming back are a little bit more personal. We loved our life and our ministry there and we didn't intend to leave. Um, but we were also trusting God to expand our family. We'd gone through years of infertility and, um, then we decided we wanted to adopt children. And so, um, our adoption story too is a long one, um, that we don't have time for, but, um, we did like two and a half years of paperwork and we also, um, fostered a child that we weren't able to adopt, that we thought that we, like at the beginning we thought we could adopt her. So anyway, um, at the end of two and a half years of our our paperwork journey, we got to adopt our first daughter, Emma, and then three months later we adopted Elsie. And so we knew that adopting these girls was gonna be a big change on our family and that they would need, you know, some time to, yeah, be in the states and so we could get them checked out medically and all those things and so we planned on coming back for a year and then we were going to see what the Lord wanted to do and would we return to East Asia or not and so within that year in the States, it became really clear that um, we needed to stay. So our we our hope and desire was to adopt children with, you know, minor and correctable special needs. And the Lord gave us um, in one child major but kind of correctable, and in another child major and not correctable and ongoing. And so um, our daughter Elsie has some pretty significant developmental delays and, and epilepsy. And so she needed all the resources. And doctors and everything that that the states could provide for her. So, so we decided to stay. So yes, so the, so our after we moved back from East Asia and adopting our girls, um, it just became clear that that we couldn't go back. But so our our transition as a family to being parents was also at the same time as transitioning from living in East Asia to living in the United States. So that was a lot of transition together. So it's kind of all wrapped up. So it's hard to it's hard to in, entangle that,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Uh, talk a little bit about what you guys are doing right now. You serve still with Crew, but you're really a mom most right. of all, which is a, a ministry. It is a ministry <laughs> in and of itself. Um, I can testify having being a mom uh, myself, but then uh, but then you also serve alongside your husband and yeah. and his ministry with Crew. So, what are some of the things that that you that you're doing now and the ways that you're seeing God work in, uh, Northwest Ohio and Michigan right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, we've, um, we have loved being with crew and, um, just really do feel like reaching college students is so strategic for reaching, you know, future generations. And so, um, we've always kind of seen our roles both as, We care about college students and we want to reach college students, but we also care a lot about our staff and our staff having, you know, really good experiences and being trained well. And so as we have remained on staff for 20 plus years, you know, we're kind of more in the staff care end of things at this point. So um, my husband is helping to give leadership and direction to some campus leaders all over the state of Michigan and this corner of Northwest Ohio. And I serve on the University of Toledo team, um, but it, a lot of what I do now is in that staff care and training our young staff and coming alongside them and helping them understand the ropes. Ministries in the past in the past year or more have really started to grow again. You know, the pandemic obviously shut down a lot of things for us and. While our campus ministries weren't completely shut down during that time, they certainly looked differently than they had in the past. And so there's been a recovery curve, you know, since since the pandemic. And it does seem like students are really hungry for showing up and, you know, getting involved in in more and more things now. And so we're seeing the ministries grow again, which is really exciting
0: that is exciting and and it's just to me makes me i I think I'm just I'm encouraged to hear that that there is that kind of, because I think you're right that that college age, it is a critical time. And so often we hear the horror stories of students going to college and and you know, the faith they had, they lose and if they had no faith, they have no no opportunity to even find it. And so it's exciting to hear that there is a renewal, of interest in the gospel and in how Jesus intersects with our lives currently. And so, so the ministry of crew is just truly an exciting and essential element, I think, of the spread of the gospel throughout the world, because we know that there are crew missionaries all over the world. And you guys are an example of that, that you did serve in East Asia for a time. So I just want to ask just a little bit more about your mom life side of things, because I, and I, I know we don't have time to do the whole adoption story and that's fine. I think the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm captured by what you shared is, is the reality versus the expectation and, and how you have had a, a new reality to adjust to based on what your hopes and expectations were. And so Can you just maybe tell us very briefly how God has met you in that?
1: Well, Leanne, that really could be a whole podcast in itself. (laughs) So I don't know how to summarize that. I I just had a lot of years to dream about what I thought motherhood would look like and— it's not looking like that. <laughs> so It's not looking like my dreams. And I think that that's part of my, just how, how God's wired me too, that I tend to look on the bright side of things and come up with these rosy ideas of, of how things should go. And then I get disappointed because I have these high expectations. So um, I love my children dearly. They are joys, but they are also very, very challenging. So I, right now I have an eighth grader and a seventh grader. My eighth grader and I, you know, she's entering adolescence and you know the teenage years and she and I are made very very differently in our personalities and we just clashed often and so you know she's with adoption there's all kinds of you know baggage that that brings and and heartache that she's had to walk through um, but then you've got these personality clashes too and so it just takes so much emotional energy for me to be present for her that's hard for me to deal with what feels like butting heads with her all the time. Um, And then my younger daughter, my seventh grader, is the one with more significant developmental delay. So um, cognitively, emotionally, like socially, she's probably more like a preschooler. And so she just doesn't always know what's appropriate. She, um, yeah, just has so much energy all the time and just wants somebody with her all the time. So she just takes a lot of like, physical energy so both of those things you know to take all of my physical energy and then all of my emotional energy it's just parenting is extremely draining so yeah. yeah yeah so parenting is is absolutely a ministry and yeah it's you know god god gave me these children and there's nobody else who can be their mom and so i have to you know give most of my time and energy to those kids. And, and then I also, you know, do what I can with crew too. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you today about just your, your experiences uh, both overseas and now back in the U S and I think that probably the thing that, that has stuck out to me the most in our conversation is What I see exhibited in your life, which is a challenge and an encouragement for me personally, is to be obedient to God's call, whatever that looks like. You guys followed God's call all the way to East Asia, and then you followed it back when it was clear that for the sake of your family, you needed to serve Him in the US. And and just that obedience, that willingness to be in step with what the Spirit was telling you to do is really for me truly an encouragement and again a challenge. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for for sharing your experience and sharing your heart and and showing me that you know reminding me of that truth that sometimes things aren't what we expected or hoped for. But to know that that when God has called us to it, he is with us in it. So so Absolutely. thank you. Erica. Oh, thank you so much. It's- Very encouraging.
1: (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of On The Move by 21C International. 21C International is a Christian nonprofit organization on a mission to encourage, equip, and empower Christian pastors in the global south by providing free, informal, biblical, and pastoral training. You can visit 21C International to learn more and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform to hear more about missions, international ministry, and how God is changing lives around the world.